months had passed since Onesimus had run away. You've concluded that you will probably never see him again. You wonder where he might be. Has the runaway joined one of the robber bands that plagued the countryside? If so, he probably wouldn't live very long. Most of them died at a young age. Or was he hiding somewhere in the great city of Rome, eating garbage and stealing to survive? Was he sleeping under bridges and in abandoned buildings? Did he resort to a life of violence and crime to stay alive? Had he been picked up on a larceny charge and thrown in jail? Was he flat broke, alone, dressed in rags and miserable? Or was he already dead and buried in some unmarked grave? Time passed and you heard no news whatsoever. Then one day, as you stood in front of your house, you looked up the road and there in the distance you saw a traveler. A few minutes later, you looked again and who's this? Are your eyes playing tricks on you? The form looks familiar. Could this be your travel-worn, runaway slave coming toward you? Yes, it is. What has prompted him to return? Congregation, I'm sure you would have mixed emotions as you watched Onesimus come up the road. And when he stopped in front of your house, perhaps you would begin pelting him with questions. Where have you been? Why did you break Roman law and run away? Don't you know that runaway slaves can be severely punished, brutally flogged, branded, sold to work in the galleys, and even killed? Don't you know that runaway slaves can be thrown to the wild beasts in the arena? Why have you returned? And perhaps before he answered any of your questions, Onesimus said, Master Philemon, I have a letter. Aren't you going to answer my questions? Don't you know how serious this is? But sir, I have a letter. Have you decided to change your ways? Sir, please, have a look at the letter. A letter from whom? It's a letter from your friend, the Apostle Paul. A letter from Paul? How in the world did you get a letter from Paul? So you call your wife, hey, hey, look who's here. And guess what he has? You open the letter with your wife looking over your shoulder. And together, with astonishment, you begin to read. It's a small letter with a big message. At the core of the letter is an appeal from your dear friend, brother, and father in the faith, the Apostle Paul. Congregation today from verses 8 to 16, we want to consider a father's affectionate appeal. And as we do so, I want to draw your attention to three things. Number one, it displays a posture of love. Number two, it describes a transformation of life. Number three, it develops a consideration of providence. We begin with a posture of love. Jesus once told a lawyer who was trying to test him, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's command. We're to be those who display in our life the pardoning grace of God. As he has forgiven us, so we must forgive others. In this small letter to Philemon, Paul urges him to demonstrate Christ-like forgiveness to his runaway slave. 
He begins verse 8 with the word, therefore. The word therefore links this portion with that which has gone before in verses 4 through 7, which we looked at last week. In verses 4 through 7, Paul spoke fondly of the godly character of Philemon. When Paul prayed, he gave thanks to God for him. While imprisoned in Rome, the godly conduct of Philemon had been reported to him. Paul was greatly encouraged by the report. In verse 7, he said, Your love has given me great joy and consolation and encouragement. Knowing that Philemon was the kind of man who delighted in doing the will of God and serving the saints, Paul chose not to command him, but to appeal to him in love. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 8. Verse 8, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. I appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul knew that by virtue of his apostolic authority, he had every right to say, Philemon, you must do this and this and this and this. But Paul chose not to emphasize his apostolic authority here. Rather, he appealed to him to do what is right for love's sake, for love's sake. It is obvious from the opening verses that Paul loved Philemon. We saw that he spoke of him in verse 1 as our beloved friend. They had a close relationship. Paul knew that Philemon was a man who was driven by love, and thus it was unnecessary for him to exert his apostolic authority. Instead, Paul reminds Philemon of who he is. In verse 9, he says two things about himself. Two things about himself. First of all, he is Paul the aged. We do not know how old Paul was when he wrote this letter, but most commentators think he was probably around 60. For us today, 60 doesn't exactly qualify you to be called the aged. Paul, however, lived at a time when the average span of life was much shorter than it is today. Also, in his case, perhaps the aging process had been accelerated through all the many difficulties that he endured. If you've ever been to a third world country where people work hard, eat poorly, and sleep irregularly, they often look older than they really are. A man of 60 can look and feel like 70 or 80. As an apostle, Paul had endured difficult journeys, beatings, imprisonments, and floggings. He was stoned, shipwrecked, suffered from lack of food and water, malnourished, and suffered from the cold. All these things combined undoubtedly took their toll on him. His 60 years of life saw more trials than, than many who lived to be 80 or 90. You might say that Paul grew old in the service of his Savior. Surely Philemon would not refuse an appeal from one so dedicated to the cause of Christ, Paul the aged. Secondly, Paul also referred to himself in verse 9 as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He began his letter in verse 1 by saying that he was a prisoner, and now he repeats it in verse 9. To elicit the respect and sympathy of Philemon, Paul again, as it were, rattles his prison chains. He had to give up much for the sake of the gospel. 
If Paul was willing to suffer as an aged prisoner out of love for God and obedience to his will, then surely Philemon should be willing to hear Paul's appeal on behalf of Onesimus. So Paul did not coerce Philemon with his apostolic authority. Rather, as an aged prisoner, he appealed to him on the basis of love. If Philemon responded positively, it would comfort him in his imprisonment and make his chains so much lighter. If Philemon responded negatively, it would add to the grief of his imprisonment and make his chains that much heavier. Philemon's response would be a test of his genuine love and respect for Paul and his gratitude to him. It would also be a test of his genuine love for all the saints. And of course, ultimately, it would also be a test of his love for God. As professing Christians, we have no right to reject those whom God has claimed and forgiven. As we go on to verses 10 to 14, we see that Paul's appeal to Onesimus not only displays a posture of love, but it also describes a transformation of life. Point number two, a transformation of life. Paul was convinced that Onesimus was a changed man. Look what he says in verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Another translation says, who became my son while I was in chains. Notice the obvious affection in these words. Paul speaks of him as his son. Onesimus was born to him in prison. Just like Timothy, Titus, and Philemon himself, Onesimus had become Paul's spiritual offspring, begotten while in my chains. By God's grace, he was somehow led to Paul in prison, and there, through his teaching, he was led to a saving knowledge of Christ. While according to Roman law, Onesimus was Philemon's slave, in a spiritual sense, he had become Paul's son. Even in prison, Paul was used as the means of a sinner's regeneration. Although he was bound, the word was not bound. It was still effective in bringing forth new life. While a Roman prison presents a picture of darkness and gloominess, new birth conveys the idea of joy and celebration. In the midst of miserable circumstances, Paul was able to experience the joy of new birth. While Paul was bound physically, Onesimus was freed spiritually. The chains which had kept Onesimus in bondage to sin and Satan fell off as he heard, believed, and received the message of the cross. Paul had no doubt that Philemon had been brought from death to life as the Holy Spirit applied the word to him. Brothers and sisters, what are the signs of life in a regenerate person? What are the signs of life in a regenerate person? Well, they're very similar to the actions of a newborn baby. A newborn baby cries out in order to have its needs satisfied by the one who gave it life. 
So also the newborn Christian cries out to the Lord in prayer, knowing that he's completely dependent upon him for all things. And then also, just as a newborn baby has the desire to feed, so the newborn Christian has a hunger for the pure milk of the word that he may grow thereby. And then a newborn baby also sleeps. As you watch a baby sleep, you will see a beautiful contentment and peace. So it is with a newborn Christian. He rejoices in the peace which he has with God because of Jesus Christ. And then as a baby receives nourishment from the one who gave him life, he begins to grow. And so it is for the newborn Christian. Spiritual growth is a sign of spiritual life. Paul had the privilege of being able to see these signs of life in this man. He saw him cry out to have his needs satisfied by the one who gave him life. He saw his hunger for the pure milk of the word. He saw joy because of his peace with God. And he saw him grow by receiving the nourishment from the one who gave him life. Let me ask you, do people see these signs of life in you as well? Do people see these signs of life in you as well? Do your parents see it? Your elders, the people around you here in this church. Paul was able to observe a renewed character through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The fact that Onesimus was willing to take this letter return to his master and face the possible consequences, even the possibility of death, was proof of his repentance. When someone becomes a Christian, he desires reconciliation with the one or ones he has wronged, to mend broken relationships and address the sins of the past. Have you done that? Have you tried to restore broken relationships and, insofar as you are able, clear the sins of your past? Onesimus was willing, regardless of the cost. His repentance revealed the genuineness of his faith. And in verse 11, Paul continued to speak of the evidence of renewal in Onesimus. Notice what he says. Have a look. Verse 11. Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Paul is saying, Philemon, you're not getting the same man back who ran away from you. He used to be unprofitable, useless. Instead of minding his duties and laboring faithfully, he stole money and ran away. He became a burden and a headache. But now, Philemon, I guarantee you he is a changed man. Verse 11 is interesting because Paul uses a play on words. The name Onesimus means profitable or useful. It was apparently a rather common name for a slave at that time. Paul is saying, in effect, profitable was formerly unprofitable, but now is profitable. Or useful was formerly useless, but now is useful. Onesimus was not the same man. Paul had already experienced this, and soon Philemon would as well. 
What a thrill it could be to have a rebellious, runaway, thieving slave return to your home as a born-again, repentant brother. What rich blessings Onesimus could bring to the home of Philemon and to the church which met in his house as they observed the transforming power of God's grace in his life. Onesimus would not merely be profitable in that now as a Christian, he would be a faithful laborer. He would be profitable and useful in a much greater way in that now he had a message to convey and a testimony to share. By accepting Onesimus back, the household of Philemon would have a daily reminder in their midst of the gracious and mysterious work of God in bringing his elect to himself. His very presence would be a visible sermon on the sovereign grace of God. Profitable was formerly unprofitable, but now is profitable. I suspect that some of us here today I suspect that some of us look back upon our life and say, I was once a pain in the neck to my parents, my family, my teachers, and to others in my life. But I praise God that He has made me profitable. I rejoice in the sovereign grace of God. And so Paul says in verse 12, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Do you see again the affection in these words? I am sending him who is my very heart. Paul had become closely knit in spirit with this new convert. He loved him as he loved himself. He may have been a great apostle. Nevertheless, spiritually, he put himself on the same level as this redeemed slave. In Christ, you see, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. Think about this. How could Philemon reject one whom Paul called my own heart? To hold a grudge against Onesimus would be to hold a grudge against Paul himself. Onesimus had proven his genuine faith. He had become so profitable that to send him back was like sending Philemon Paul's own heart. Philemon would find him to be a source of great spiritual blessing if he were to forgive and receive him. In fact, Onesimus had become so profitable to Paul that he would have gladly kept him in Rome. Look at verse 13. Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. I wish to keep him with me. I wish to keep him with me. He was very blessed by the company of Onesimus. Paul says in verse 13 that he would be a very suitable representative for Philemon as as Philemon's substitute in Rome. Onesimus was not a burden to Paul in any way. But Paul knew that to keep him in Rome was not fitting. Why not? Well, for at least four reasons. First of all, there had to be reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon. 
If Onesimus stayed in Rome, he would not have opportunity for face-to-face reconciliation. You see, face-to-face reconciliation is always the most profitable among Christians. If you're at odds with your brother, if you're at odds with your sister, it's best to reconcile face-to-face. Second, it was not proper to keep Onesimus in Rome because he was under the authority of another. That's why Paul said in verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. As much as possible, Paul honored the civil laws. Roman law stated that Onesimus rightfully belonged to Philemon. Then thirdly, it was not fitting to keep him in in Rome because then Paul would have forced Philemon to make a decision. Paul did not want his decision to be by coercion. Notice what he says in verse 14. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. He didn't want to force Philemon into making a decision that would rob him of the joy of making a righteous choice by his own will, freely. Freely. And then a fourth reason for sending Onesimus back can be deduced from these verses. Paul wanted to give Philemon the opportunity to observe firsthand the renewed character of Onesimus. Paul wanted to give Philemon the opportunity to observe firsthand the renewed character of Onesimus. It's one thing to hear some news by way of letter, but it's much more precious when you can see and observe new life with your own eyes. So, brothers and sisters, Paul's appeal displays a posture of love, point number one, and describes a transformation of life, point number two. Then, in our final verses, 15 and 16, we see thirdly that Paul's fatherly appeal also develops a consideration of providence. Develops a consideration of providence. While Paul does not in any way minimize the guilt of Onesimus, he wants Philemon to look beyond Onesimus to the overruling providence of God, redirecting Philemon's gaze from the horizontal to the vertical. Sometimes when we are mistreated or taken advantage of, all we can see is the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We feel hurt, we feel irritated, we feel unjustly treated. All we can see is the horizontal. In verses 15 and 16, Paul wants Philemon to consider the greater purposes of God in this event. Onesimus may have run away dishonestly, but what was God's plan in all of this? Well, look at verse 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Why does Paul say perhaps? Because no one is able to perfectly understand the secret will of God, to perfectly discern why God does what he does in our lives. But Paul wants Philemon to consider the ways of God. He is able to take even the evil deeds of men and use them to accomplish something good. 
Paul wants Philemon to reflect upon God's sovereign, providential government of the universe. Nothing in our lives happens by chance. He is able to use even the most difficult of circumstances to accomplish his will. One of the most obvious Old Testament examples of this is in the life of Joseph. In hatred, his brother sold him into slavery. He was separated from his father's house and carted off to Egypt. There, because of his faithfulness to God, he ended up in prison. But eventually, God delivered him and raised him to a position of honor next to Pharaoh himself. Through a vision, the Lord prepared him for the years of famine so that eventually his very own brothers who sold him into slavery were kept from starvation. Through it all, Joseph spoke these very insightful and memorable words to his brothers. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. God used the evil deeds of Joseph's brothers to bring about good so that in the end they did not perish from hunger. Well, God was also at work in the life of Onesimus. He took off from his master and fled to Rome, but it was in Rome that he was arrested by God and the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. Paul says in verse 15, perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. Philemon was separated for a short period from his slave only to be joined forever to a brother. Congregation, there is great blessing and comfort in the consideration of providence. God is able to use even the evil in our lives to produce good. Of course, that does not in any way excuse evil deeds. Sin must always be repented of and confessed before God. But even those things that are done in sin can be used for good. I knew a couple who had a son who left home in rebellion. He went off to England away from the nagging of his parents. He lived a prodigal life, ignoring most of what he had been taught. Now, obviously, as parents, we must call such a one to repentance. We pray for him and work with him. We do what we can to lead him to Christ. But when we have done all that we possibly could do and there's still no change, we can say, Lord, he's in your hands. You are able to arrest his heart and change this evil into good for your glory. The young man who went off to England spontaneously walked into a little chapel one Sunday morning and it was there that he was born again. He repented, and guess what he is today? He's a pastor preaching the message of salvation. Onesimus was the slave of a compassionate Christian, but that is not where he was converted. He escaped to Rome, but God pursued him, overtook him, and convicted him of his sin. After he left the household of Philemon, some of the believers must have thought, well, that's the end of him. 
He'll never again have the opportunity to be instructed in the Christian faith. He'll be absorbed into heathenism and we will never see him again. And yet, brothers and sisters, it was precisely through his trek to Rome that God gripped him, led him to the Apostle Paul, and gave him a desire to serve God through sovereign providential direction. Now, I don't want anyone to draw wrong conclusions here. I'm not suggesting that every story has a happy ending and everything's going to work out in the end. I'm not suggesting that at all. Many stories have a very tragic ending. Sinful rebellion often ends in sinful rebellion. Those who harden their hearts often die with hardened hearts. We cannot assume that our rebellious child or church member will see his sin repent and return. But we do have the assurance that what God has done in the past, he is able to do in the present. That even in the midst of difficult and frustrating times, times of sorrow and anguish, we can cry out to God and say, Lord, I know that even through this, you are able to bring a good result, accomplish your purposes, and bring glory to yourself. It may be, it may be that the Lord may bring your son or daughter to salvation in the most unlikely place. It may be that he departs for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, not only as your son or daughter, but as a son or daughter of the living God. God is able to take a situation that seems to be utterly hopeless and bring amazing blessings through it. That is what Paul is pointing out to Philemon. He's saying, Philemon, you may have been robbed and taken advantage of, but you need to look beyond all that to the higher purposes of God. Perhaps the very reason for his departure was that you might receive him forever. And then congregation, when you look at it in that light, then you can see the importance of Philemon accepting him back as a brother. If Philemon were to hold a grudge against him, he may very well be resisting the providential work of God. Onesimus may have acted with sinful intentions and motives, but God meant it for good to bring him into his fold. Philemon must then accept him as a transformed, renewed, born-again believer. That which brought grief to himself and his household was the very means by which his servant came to know Christ. And now, says Paul in verse 16, you can receive him no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Despite what he has done and what he may have cost you, you are to receive him as a dear brother. Philemon could now enjoy fellowship with Onesimus both as a man as they, they work together from day to day and as a brother in the Lord as they worship, served, and ministered together. If Philemon heeded Paul's plea and accepted Onesimus, then they would be able to enjoy daily fellowship as they worked together and weekly fellowship as they worshiped together. 
You see, brothers and sisters, the gospel overthrows barriers. It enables us to accept one another as pardoned sinners, fellow members of the family of God. The blood of the cross enables us to forgive offenses committed against us. So as we draw this to a close, I would ask you, as you come to the table of the Lord this morning, is there a brother or sister in your life that you have not been able to forgive? Is there someone who has repented of a life of sin, but you have never forgiven him? Perhaps even a son, a daughter, or a church member. Paul's appeal is not only directed at Philemon, it is for each and every one of us. God wants you to forgive, not by compulsion, but willingly in love. He wants us to remove anger and a bitter spirit from us. He wants us not only to tolerate each other, but to love each other. When we see a sinner renewed by the Spirit of God, born again, accepted by God through Jesus Christ, then we can only say, Lord, you have given me a brother, a sister. Help me to love this member of your family with all my heart as you have loved me and no longer accuse him because of his past. You have transformed him. You have made him profitable. By your providence, you have led him to yourself. Then help me to receive him fully as your child and to sit with him, with her, as a brother or sister at your table. And then I would also say to you in closing, if you're with us today and do not know what it means to be delivered from sin, you have not entered those doors by accident. God sovereignly directed you here. What God did for Onesimus, He can also do for you. He can give you new life and make you useful, profitable in His service. But to share that new life, you need to accept His Word, repent of your sin, and believe on Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be delivered from sin and the terrors of hell, that is through the Savior of sinners. His own blood was shed on the cross so that you may have access to the Father's presence. Then take hold of His promises. Believe His gospel, and He will transform you from a slave of sin and Satan to a son, a daughter of the Most High. He will say to you, My child, you are my son, my daughter forever. Let us pray. Lord, what a blessing it is to know that through faith in Jesus we are not only reconciled with you, but we are also reconciled with one another 
as we are able to forgive one another. We thank you, Lord, for the love that we receive from Christ. And we pray that more and more by your Spirit that love would flow out from us. That we would be a people characterized by love. That, Lord, each one of us here would truly display that transformed life. Even as Onesimus showed that he was truly born again by the Spirit of God. So may the signs of life be evident in each one of us here. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we too would be sensitive to your providential working in our lives. And to know, Lord, that you who guided Onesimus to Rome and to Paul and to receive the gospel and to be born again. So also today, Lord, you are the one who guides and directs. So, Lord, may we be sensitive to that. And may we recognize that you are able today also to bring sinners into certain circumstances in which they hear the gospel and repent by the power of your Spirit. And instead of being slaves of sin and Satan, become son or daughter of the living God. So, Lord, as we come to this table, may we do so, Lord, with the joy of being reconciled with you and being one with each other. May we be filled with love for one another here in this body of Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.